Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I am sitting down with three folks discussing Apollo. Now, these people all come from different backgrounds and different companies, so I'm going to let them each introduce themselves. Martin, why don't we start with you? Yes, hello. So my name is Martin. Um, I started at Apollo actually uh, a few months ago. I think it's uh, almost three months now. Um, before that, I was working for a company called Dailymotion that uh, invested pretty early on uh, GraphQL. Uh, we did uh, the switch to GraphQL in 2017. So uh, I started contributing to uh, to Apollo, uh, which is open source. I started uh, working a lot in the in the Gradle plugin. And yeah, I got the opportunity to work full-time on uh, Apollo. So this is what I'm doing now. Tashin? Um, yeah, hey. So um, I, I, I mainly have an Android background. I recently joined Delivery Hero as an engineering manager. I'm not uh, writing code that much anymore, but Apollo uh, Android was like a really interesting project to, to me. And it, it is kind of like an excuse also to go back to development in my free time uh yeah because like we will go uh we will deep dive more but with uh, because of many aspects uh, it's it's a really interesting project where you have like m many many different um types of uh um, stuff yeah cool and we also have ivan on the call ivan hi uh, yeah, so I am working at Shopify as the staff mobile engineer and uh, uh, for around like four years. And uh, Shopify was uh, kind of the first, uh, among the first adopters of the GraphQL. And by that time, there wasn't any solution out there. And I was really inspired by the approach. Uh, you probably know about the SQL Delight. So how they did um, for the SQL. So it was uh, like interesting approach that Apollo was thinking about the same way. So I joined as the early maintainer of the Apollo and start my journey with Apollo since then. Shopify, now, now there's a stock I wish I had bought. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cool. So uh, let's, before we get into the guts of it, uh, for folks that don't know anything about this, uh, what is Apollo? How does it fit with GraphQLs? Can you give a brief overview of that? Uh, well, I can take that question. Um, so Apollo has been doing GraphQL pretty much since the beginning. And uh, we have uh, like open source implementation of basically everything in the GraphQL stack. So maybe I, I should say a few words about GraphQL first? Yes, that would be good. Oh, okay. um, so GraphQL is, uh, I like to think of it as a, a REST on steroids. So it's um, a way to communicate with your backend uh, that allows the client to query the specific fields they need. So uh, unlike a traditional REST API where you query a JSON and you have a lot of things so some of the things you might uh, want and some of the things you might not use uh, with graphql you can uh, directly request only the fields and the data that you, you need so it's uh, it's a nice uh, performance improvement and nice way to model your your data and your backend uh, which removes a lot of frictions between teams 
Um, and on top of that, uh, the nice thing with, with GraphQL, and this is what uh, got me started, uh, and, and what made me love GraphQL is that it's uh, completely strongly typed. Uh, it's actually, it, it has uh, some similarities with uh, Kotlin because it has features such as uh, null safety and uh, all, all the types. It's it's a complete type system. So I think it's a very good, uh, it's a very good candidate or good companion to have uh, when uh, writing Kotlin. So it complements Kotlin nicely, basically, right? Yeah, the, the two works really well together because they're the same concept and uh, being able to have type safety from your backend uh, to your frontend is uh, super useful. Uh, and as a client developer, the experience is really, really nice. Okay. So now tell us about Apollo. Where does this sit? And so Apollo Android is a, a GraphQL client for Android, uh, but also for the GVM and for Kotlin native. Maybe we can talk about that later. So uh, it's named Android because uh, this is uh, where most of the users use it. So if you have an Android app and you have a GraphQL backend, Apollo Android uh, will generate models, uh, typesafe models that match your backend. So in a very high level, it's a, a Gradle plugin that uh, generates some code and source files that you can later use with a, a runtime library that uh, do the, does the parsing and also all, all kinds of things like uh, HTTP request and caching. So essentially, you give it an endpoint and then it generates everything needed to talk to that endpoint, right? Yeah, you give it an endpoint and GraphQL file. So you, you write your queries in the GraphQL language. Uh, so you, you give GraphQL file, you give a schema, which defines uh, all the types in your backend. And Apollo will generate uh, the models for that. And you mentioned that it's called Apollo Android because the majority of our users are on Android. Yeah, it's... That's it's not very good from a marketing perspective, especially if you yeah, want to get more people outside of Android. Yeah, it's also, I think, a historical background as well. It, I guess it started with Android. Right. Uh, and, and, and then just uh, supports JVM too. It's really something uh, I'm very, uh, we're very open to suggestion because uh, it feels like, yeah, a lot of people don't know, for an example, that uh, Apollo Android supports Kotlin multi-platform. Uh, but on the other hand, the name has been there for a very long time, so it's hard to change it. So if, if there are any suggestion how to like update this, uh, I definitely take them. So essentially what you're saying is that we have a problem. Uh, yeah. Okay, maybe. nobody got my joke of Apollo, Houston, we have a problem. Never mind. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I'm not great at marketing, uh, but I would say that if 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 it's called Apollo Android, it's probably one of the reasons why people wouldn't know that it's multi-platform. Um, so maybe it's just time to drop the Android and just, just say it's Apollo and that's it. If you want to have adoption outside of Android, obviously, which you do, right? Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. It's... Sorry, go ahead, Ivan. Yeah, I just like want to mention that um, initially it's a, it's a historical that uh, we have a different implementation for the Apollo. We have Apollo JS, we have Apollo iOS, and uh, the last uh, 
that we needed is the Apollo Android, uh, some solution for the Android. But that was interesting that uh, a lot of, actually, there are a lot of questions was why you call Apollo Android if it's okay to use in GVM. And we know that some folks even using in the backend as a client for the GraphQL. And that was, uh, to be honest, <laughs> interesting why we call this Apollo Android, but it's like historical. We never have a chance to drop it, the Android portion. But the good thing is like, if somebody searches for like GraphQL Kotlin client, it shows up pretty good in the Google's searches. Yeah. I hope it doesn't show up with every example pointing to Android because then I'll be like, you see, I told you that Kotlin's only for Android. <laughs> <laughs> it, it brings interesting questions because we, we could name it Apollo Kotlin for an example, but it's not just about Kotlin because it also does Java Kotlin. So it would be something like Apollo GVM and Kotlin, which is kind of a mouthful. So yeah, yeah. definitely something to improve. I mean, it's a, it's a similar solution situation where we have, right? We have Kotlin JVM, uh, and then there is the, there's the Kotlin, is there a Kotlin Android? And then there's Kotlin JS and there's Kotlin native. And then native, of course, is a technology that enables iOS and it enables desktop and enables naming is hard, as they said. So this project started out as what? As Java or from scratch, it was written in Kotlin. So uh, I can I can take that. So basically, when I joined, I was also interested in the Gradle part. But at that time, um, it was all Java, and in fact, the Gradle stuff was also groovy. A um, little bit of nightmares I remember now. Uh, yeah. So uh, almost one year ago, um, Ivan started the initial uh, GitHub issue to. Uh, to convert it to Kotlin platform, of, of course, the first step was to convert uh, not just the library, but the code generation also into Kotlin. Uh, so that was like a really big, big task. Um, first, we keep we kept the uh, initial Gradle plugin and uh, allowed the users to uh, convert, like generate Kotlin code. Basically, that was the first step. So why did you request that, Ivan? Like, why did you want to suddenly convert this to Kotlin multi-platform? Uh, we feel like I feel a need that uh, with the like when we started the Apollo. It uh, first of all, it was like around three years ago, I guess. And uh, the reason why it was on GVM, maybe one of the reason was is that uh, by that time Google probably didn't still haven't announced that the it's going to support Kotlin as the first class citizen. So we wrote, uh, actually the code gen was written in Kotlin, but the rest, uh, the rest like runtime supporting files or even like models were generated on uh, Java, Java code. So, and, but, uh, after that, we saw the future in Kotlin multi-platform, like you can have the uh, uh, network, sorry, you can have the language that talks to your API and it can be multi-platform. So if you're building some multi-platform project, uh, you probably is going to communicate somehow to the network and you need the some kind of like client, right? So because otherwise, like what your application doing, 
like most of the application is have some business logic around the na uh, networking. So that's what we uh, feel that, oh, we can like fill the gap. We can provide the another Kotlin multi-platform implementation that you can now enable our users to write uh, multi-platform projects and uh, support iOS as well. And what was the reaction to that? Um, it was a mixed reaction. Uh, we, uh, the, the most of the time, like uh, everyone understands what, why, what, what was the reason, but sometimes it was like reaction um, the same way, like how I remember this a big ticket uh, around the OKHTTP OK when they migrate to Kotlin, like why you migrate into Kotlin if for the JVM users. But uh, for us, it was like, uh, yeah, okay, it makes sense, and uh, uh, it brings some some like additional kind of Kotlin ish. Uh, I mean, uh, overhead, I would say for the JVM users. But as 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 we said, that the majority of users are Android. They probably already migrate to the Kotlin, and uh, they were fine with that. Uh, we really wish that we could have some uh, analytics, but yeah, we really didn't. Uh, the one thing we noticed that we didn't really have like a big pushback from the community. So uh, although not many users are using the Kotlin multi-platform, uh, we uh, the, the new version supporting Kotlin platform means that when they upgrade, they, they get the transitive uh, standard library dependency but we didn't really get any um, any issues with that from the community so far. Since the conversion, I mean, how long has this been running now? Well, running, how long has it been available as a multi-platform solution? And what platforms are you targeting? So maybe uh, for that, um, I can describe the um, Apollo, how Apollo works a little bit more detail. So we mentioned uh, that it started the uh, Gradle plugin. And then there is the compiler that actually generates the code. Since it's separate, we were able to uh, keep it in Kotlin from the very, very beginning. And then it generates code, right? Uh, and that, that code in order to compile needs uh, need a separate API dependency uh, that just supports the some base classes, uh, et cetera. So that makes the generated code complete. Uh, and then on top of that, we have the runtime. runtime uh, depends on OKHTTP, OK, has uh, like RxJava support in a separate module, caching, uh, normalized cache, uh, coroutine support, etc., etc. So what we did initially, we just converted this uh, API module part to, to Kotlin multi-platform. That means like uh, we are able to generate the code in the in the common, uh, common main module uh, source set and then uh, that is able to compile just fine. So that was the first kind of like an MVP approach uh, that makes it possible to uh, do multi-platform applications. And in the sample, uh, we provided a sample. It's in the in the repository under samples slash multi-platform. It, it currently has uh, Android and iOS uh, implementation. So since there is a really strong support of, of of Apollo on the JavaScript community. So we didn't really uh, add, add the JavaScript support initially. Uh, but recently, I think either last week or a little bit before, 
someone from the community actually provided the JavaScript uh, implementations of the expected classes. So that is also that was also awesome to see that is coming from the community. Yeah, that's 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 double the double beneficial, right? First of all, it's like, oh look, the community is actually caring and providing this. Second of all, oh look, we don't have to do the work anymore. Yeah, that's cool. So, and how's the uptake been? I mean, what are the what are your main uh, target users right now, or who are your are you? I mean, you mentioned you don't really have analytics, but do you have a fair idea of? what people are mostly using? Are, are they still just using mostly the Android stuff or, or targeting? Because we also mentioned that, you know, there are people using this on the JVM. Which platforms are they using mostly? So, for example, in our project, the fact that it was supported in the JVM, uh, we were able to uh, keep them, keep our module like networking uh, layer, uh, Gradle module, Kotlin only. So, it slightly is is more simpler, you know, uh, free of Android, so compiles a little bit faster as well. So that's, for example, how we used it within an Android project, even like the fact that it, it doesn't require Android. Yeah, I, I think uh, at the moment uh, there are two, two really two types of users and ones that are really deep in the Android ecosystem that are still only using uh, Android. And I think this is the bulk of the users. This is where most of the users are coming from. But uh, we are starting to see a lot of uh, requests. And actually, uh, this, uh, if you follow the, the GitHub issues, uh, the number of uh, issues about uh, Kotlin multi-platform and question, I mean, it's not only issues, it's, it's also questions. Uh, so there is definitely some interest. Most of the time, it's from smaller organizations. And they want to use uh, the full set of Kotlin multi-platform. Uh, so GVM, Android, uh, native. And we also had requests about Windows. So uh, I think Windows is the only target that we don't have right now. And it's something that uh, we are looking forward to add. But in terms of Kotlin native, I mean, I would assume that maybe people are doing Kotlin multi-platform uh, mobile and they might use this for iOS and uh, Android. Why Windows? Like, are people starting to use this with Kotlin native in targeting Windows? Uh, yeah, I, I actually got that question for, uh, at a GraphQL Summit last week. Uh, I actually uh, didn't ask what the use case was behind that. Uh, I, I think maybe for some backend code or some server code, you might want to do that. I don't know of a good way to do a, a, a real uh, cross-platform UI, or maybe someone could think about that, uh, like doing the view models and business logic in Kotlin and writing some Windows UI on top of it. I've never seen it, but maybe that was it. Right. I mean, there are people that are... You you know, doing things with uh, UI and Kotlin native. I just didn't think it would be so widespread. Yeah, I saw that tweet about Jetpack Compose uh, working on macOS. I think it was something like this. And uh, that really piqued my interest. And it's definitely something I want to dive into. Well, we have a team at JetBrains that is now uh, hiring for this, right? There's a, there's a few folks that are uh, looking at this whole Jetpack Compose uh, for desktop applications. 
So nice. Yes, there's there's even a job opening for it. I think so. There you go. You could pique your interest. <laughs> Suddenly, the show converts into a, hey, you want to join JetBrains? I did actually interview one person on the show that ended up joining JetBrains. He was complaining so much about multi-platform uh, and the tooling issues. And guess what he's doing now? He's working on the multi-platform touring issues. So, oh, that's that's good. Yeah, don't complain about the compiler, huh? I'm telling you, don't, I'm warning you, don't complain. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's, a, it's an amazing way to hire. I know, you know, it's like, and, and and that way I get an audience as well. Now it's kind of like, you know, hey, you want to join JetBrains? Come on the podcast. <laughs> but talking about the compiler, can you dive a little bit deeper into how exactly this works? Like, how does the whole system think? Because you, you talked about you've got a, a plugin and then the plugin is generating some files. Can we look at that a little bit more in detail? Yeah, <clears throat> sure. I, I guess I will take this question. So, <clears throat> uh, there are like uh, different uh, parts of the Apollo and one of them is the uh, code generation. So basically what it means is that um, the GraphQL is a, it's a language specification for query your API. So it defines the uh, rules, how you need to write the GraphQL queries to query your API. And uh, also it provides the specification how the schema should look like on the server side to understand like uh, the schema means like how you describe the objects uh, in your backend uh, environment. So we take these two like uh, two kind of pieces. One is the GraphQL file that actually uh, contains your query to query the GraphQL API. And we take the schema because the schema defines uh, how, like, for example, if you request the user, what this user looks like. If you request a name on this user, is it actually there is such name on the user in the schema? And actually, it provides us the uh, what the type of this name. Is it a string? Is it like a float? Or is it anything else? So we take all these two different uh, source files and we generate models that actually will represent the response that you will get back from the server when you uh, send the GraphQL query. And uh, this model that represents the response is actually type safe because we have access to the GraphQL schema. So we absolutely sure that the name is actually has the uh, type of string and also nullable. Uh, we like the GraphQL specification uh, specifies like if the field is nullable or not nullable. So we uh, use this information to generate the nullable or not nullable uh, uh, fields on the, our models. So we take these two different and we generate the models. Initially, we start with the JVM models and we were using the uh, Java Poet to generate the Java classes that represents the GraphQL response. Then we added the Kotlin. Uh, I believe the, after one year, we start to like, um, see that the uh, uh, Kotlin is going to be uh, like a first citizen for the Android. So we start uh, generating the uh, Kotlin models. And that's pretty much the, it's it, like it to as a simple explanation of the code agent. So, and uh, then the Gradle itself actually calls this uh, code agent and generate to generate these models. 
So this models is responsible for represent your GraphQL query that you provide and also responsible for the parsing response that you receive from the server. So this is how the Codigen works. Maybe we can uh, give a shout out to the, the Square team also because we use like uh, tons of their libraries and I know uh, the Codigen is using uh, Kotlin Poet and Java Poet and uh, the runtime is uh, using a lot of OKIO, which uh, made it possible to target Kotlin multi-platform. So yeah, I think uh, that helped a lot. Yes, shout out to Square. Yeah, for sure. And, and another reason was why we were waiting. Uh, there is a delay in uh, making the Kotlin model generated because we were waiting for the Java Kotlin poet to, to be like stable, more or less stable. Uh, to generate the Kotlin model. So yeah, big shout out to the square. So it feels like there's a lot of the plumbing work you're actually relying on on uh, OKIO and OKHTTP, right? Uh, right, uh, the OKHTTP is used only for the runtime, uh, but OKIO is used not only for the runtime, but also for the uh, generated models generated model, to, yeah. to yeah, part yeah. the response. So given this, how hard has it been the experience to move to Kotlin multi-platform? Um, so from uh, from the code generation perspective, it, we were lucky, to be honest. It was so easy uh, because uh, our models, uh, our generated models were uh, mostly contains the pure language, Kotlin language. So the only what we did is actually we had some um, some IO exception, GVM IO exception. So we replaced that with some like I, I believe it took from Okio IO exception, and obviously we might up, upgraded actually upgraded the uh, Okio uh, version to the latest. And as you know, the Okio supports multi platforms, so that's from the code generation, we didn't do much to like, you know, to change how we generate Kotlin models in order to make them available on Kotlin multi-platform. But runtime was a different story. Either of you want to add anything to that or I'll edit this out, obviously. Yeah, uh, runtime uh, uh, on iOS, uh, what we do is that I think we use an SURL uh, connection to do the HTTP call. And it has a few, like, th there's some friction when you, you start uh, doing, because we also want to expose coroutine first APIs. And there is a bit of friction when you want to do that uh, on native, uh, mainly because of this uh, world discussion about uh, memory models. But also because the dispatchers were not available, uh, I, I think they're still not. Maybe they will be with uh, with Kotlin 1.4. So yeah, having a 100% Kotlin first API for the runtime is a target, and uh, I'm looking really forward to it. But uh, it's uh, more complicated. So how are you packaging this? Like, if someone wants to use this, are you dividing it up into based on the platform? How how are you doing it? Um, so we have a, a few artifacts, as uh, Tasso said. We have the runtime, we have the API. So it's divided by layers, I would say. So we have one for the SQLite cache, for an example. 
Uh, and for the multi-platform modules, uh, we we just use the multi-platform uh, plugin. And uh, kudos to JetBrains, who did a, a wonderful job of uh, making the publication easier with uh, multi-platform. So that went pretty smoothly, I think. With uh, Gradle metadata, it means that uh, people can consume the multi-platform Apollo artifact with just one line, and uh, it's it's nice. It's nice. Yeah, that's why I was asking because whether you're you're finding that useful or not, because I think that there's been a tremendous amount of struggle at times to figure out the best way to ship these things and, and more importantly to make them discoverable. Uh, and, oh yeah, and yeah, I'm really really super happy about Kotlin 1.4 and uh, having this become the default. Uh, right now, I think I have some project where. I have to import, uh, I think, coroutine native, and uh, that uh, ends up resolving to GVM. So that, that's, that's, that's a bit weird when you start multi-platform. But the new way of doing things is uh, really good. We were really lucky uh, that we just do this at the time where, like, the um, Gradle, maybe Kotlin, and the other like, third-party libraries started to use consistent naming, and the Gradle 6... Uh, was released already, which enabled Gradle metada metadata by default, so that made it much easier. Yeah. I was going to say that we're also trying to improve the discoverability from the package search stuff that we have. We're, we're working on it, JetBrains, uh, to, to also make, like, let people know which platforms are also multi, which libraries, sorry, which libraries frameworks are multi-platform. Um, and, and hopefully ease the whole situation a little bit. Cool. So, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say uh, nice. Well, thank yeah. you. Well, don't thank me yet. Let's, <laughs> let's get it working properly. <laughs> no, we're on the way. Cool. So uh, what is the offering here? I mean, in terms of people wanting to use this, um, what is the, do you have a pricing model? Is it, is it free? Is it commercial? What's, what's behind it? So this is all, uh, the, so I'm part of the um, Apollo open source team. So this is all open source uh, software. Um, so this is free. And then Apollo has other services. So you can go to apollographql.com. And um, the, the main product is called Apollo Studio. It's a tool that allows you to monitor your graph and uh, really have some uh, insight about uh, how your graph is evolving and uh, the breaking change, if any, uh, the usages, uh, analytics, um, all that kind of thing. Okay, but what's in terms of the library, that's basically all free open source, no royalties or anything like that, right? Yep, yep. Uh, I don't have the license on top of my head, but I think it's MIT license, so it's, yeah, it's all free. Okay, cool. And where's the best place for someone to get started? I would say the GitHub repo is a, is a good place. So we have a, a readme in the GitHub repo that redirects to docs. So we have a lot of docs. There is a, a small Android tutorial, actually. It's the first thing that I did uh, joining uh, Apollo. So there's a, an Android tutorial if you want to get started, uh, which shows the different steps of adding Apollo to your project. You see, that's your problem as well. You know, you're just like focusing everything on Android. Like, Get get rid of the UI. Just just say it's a UI. 
<laughs> yeah, to be honest, uh, so uh, also something I did because I did a lot of uh, documentation uh, when I first joined, and uh, I also made different entry points. So now we have one entry point for Java, one for Kotlin, and one for multi-platform. So hopefully that will help a little bit. Uh, we're still missing a tutorial for Kotlin multi-platform. Uh, maybe that's something we should look into. Yeah. And but don't write it just yet. I, I, I've I found that if as soon as you write a, a tutorial for Kotlin multi-platform, it changes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, I think we're going to try and stabilize that as well. Yeah, the tutorial is very detailed. Is step by step instructions like on all the features. Uh, but the getting started page with multi-platform is really really good because it's only. Uh, First of all, like talking about how you edit to your multi-platform project and, and talking about the different features that are available to multi-platform because not everything is available yet, working progress. Nice. Cool. Well, it was good having you on the show. Thank you for coming. Uh, we'll add some links to the show notes of where people can go to learn more. And uh, thank you, I want to say, on behalf of the Kotlin team also for taking the time and effort to convert this to multi-platform and support us. I think that you know, as more and more libraries become available on multi-platform, it encourages folks to start using it even more and especially use it outside of Android, which, I, again, I don't have anything against Android. I, I literally have nothing against Android to the point that I've written on my Twitter profile that I don't do Android development. That's... That, that's you did. Way. Pardon? You did. Yes, you I did. I did that. Yes, I did. Because people would kept saying like, hey, can you uh, come and give a talk around uh, Kotlin on Android? I'm like, no. And well, the, I, I, we fixed that problem as well, right? Because there's no more talks, there's no more conferences, there, there's nothing <laughs> anymore. Maybe it's not this way. <laughs> yes, um, I think it was, uh, Martin, you mentioned that you were at a GraphQL summit uh, last week. I, I, was oh, about, yeah. I was about to ask you where, what, what planet do you live on? I assume it's online, uh, right? Yes, 100% online. It was a nice format. It was on Twitch, and uh, we used Discord for like topic rooms and chats, and uh, it worked pretty well. So that's that's tough to to be done online as well. Yeah, I, I remember when all of this started. People were just kind of like, "Yeah, I think that conferences we can move it all to online, and and it's much better, and blah blah blah." And now everyone's like, "Oh, I just wish I could have another conference that I could go to physically." So. We'll see how yep. it goes out. When is the next Kotlin call? Oh, and you see, that's, that, that serves me right for talking about conferences. Uh, well, it's not going to be in 2020, that's for sure. Uh, now, the question is whether it's going to be in 2021. Um, and uh, I'll give you the telephone number of this thing called uh, COVID-19. Maybe ask, ask them. <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let them know what, uh, ask what their plans are, and then I can tell you what our plans are around Kotlin conference. It's yeah, uh, we, 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 we'll file a, a request, an issue there, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, hopefully, it'll all end soon, but anyway, cool. Well, thanks, folks, for coming on the show, and uh, until next time, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.